The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Hey, thanks for joining us. One of the things that we do here at Summit is we walk verse by verse through Scripture. Right now, we're in the the first part of the book of Luke. And so if you have your Bible, I'd love you to go to Luke chapter 6. That's where we'll be today. Um, and, and we're in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 17. And now I want to give us a little bit of recap if you're just now joining us. or uh, and I'd always encourage you to go back, watch some of the, the earlier talks. But the book of Luke is written from this perspective of Luke, this historian doctor, who's writing this letter to Theophilus as, as proof of, of Theophilus asking the question of, hey, what I've been taught, I want to know if it's real. I want to know if it stands on its own, if the things that I'm hearing are correct. And so he's commissioned this man named Luke to go through historically and find out what's true. And so in Luke 6, where we're at today, this is right after Jesus has kind of named his disciples. And we see this, one of these sermons that, that Jesus would have preached to the disciple and to the people around them. You know, this is also uh, this sermon. We, we see an example of it in the early part of Matthew as well. But I want you to go with me to Luke chapter 6, starting verse 17. And it says this. He went down with them and he stood on a level place. A large crowd of disciples um, were there of a great number of people from all over Judea and Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyrene and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled with impure spirits were cured and the people who tried to t- and all the people tried to touch him. Because the power was coming from him and healing them all. So the first thing that I want us to see as we walk through this is a specific location that Luke would point out here that's actually a little bit different that we see in Matthew. If you jump to Matthew chapter 5, it says this. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him. And so one of the questions is is for any of us who are Bible learners and Bible studiers that we're going to ask is is a simple question of, okay, where does this fit into this narrative of the Luke account and both the Matthew account? Because as we'll continue to read today, that we'll walk through what's known as the Beatitudes. We see these in Matthew. Next week, we'll talk a little bit more about those as well. We'll talk a little bit about these blessings, these woes. And while the context and the content that's being taught um, between Matthew and Luke are primarily the same context, we see a few small little differences. One of the first ones being this location. Now, the, the account in Matthew is often known as the Sermon on the Mount, where the account here in Luke by many scholars is known as the, uh, the Sermon on the Plains. And we'll see some similarities as we walk through it. I want to encourage you, take some time, read through the account from Matthew 5 all the way to Matthew 7. But we see some of these same teachings that Jesus begins to unpack. But we also see a few differences. 
You know, and so it leads to the question, you know, is this the same sermon that one's coming from the book of Matthew, the other one's coming from the book of Luke? Is it, is it a paraphrase of this sermon? Did maybe Jesus go around from place to place, whether he's on the mountaintop or whether he's on the plain, and he's teaching a similar type sermon? You know, we don't exactly know the full details of what that looks like, but we see these as very important teachings. You know, I don't know about you, but I would absolutely love the opportunity to sit and listen specifically just to the teaching of Jesus. I mean, imagine that for a moment, whether you're the disciples or whether you're part of these multitude of people. Imagine for yourself, let's say you had a family member who who was injured or who was sick all of their life. And you heard about this man named Jesus who may be the son of God that your people have been waiting for. Maybe it's not even your people. Maybe you're a a Greek person, right? And and you come from the seaside region. If you heard about Jesus, you've heard about his teachings, and you think to yourself, hey, we've got to get to this guy. We've got to get, you know, our brother Johnny, we got to get him to Jesus because we've even heard that even if you reach out and you touch him, he has such power that you would be healed. And let's say you got there and that happened and your brother was healed. And then you had the opportunity to sit there and you heard his teaching. You know, whether that's a sermon that he had taught over and over again, or it was one time and, and remembered as best that they could from people. It would have been impactful. And I think for us today, it's one that we want to really study and we really want to think about. And ask the question, if, if we wanted to hear Jesus preach, what would he preach about? Both Matthew and Luke start with these blessing phrases or beatitudes. And I want us to dive into this today, and I want us to look at what he would say. So in Luke chapter 20, it says this. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. So quickly we see that even though there's a multitude of people, Jesus has come down onto the plains. He specifically looks at his disciples And he says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. The first thing that I want you to see in that is this. The way that it's written here is not one day you will be blessed. It's not, hey, hey, you're poor, just hold on. But it's written in present tense. That it's this understanding that it's not just hopefully one day things will change for you. The teaching of Jesus is not, hey, if you hold on long enough, if you believe in me just long enough, then things are going to change for you. Right? Man, if, if you believe hard enough, then you're going to win the lottery. Or, man, if, if, if you believe strong enough and you do the right things, then you'll get the job that you need to provide for your family. No, the teaching is present tense Blessed are the poor. Now, specifically in that context, you have a group of people that would look at anyone's circumstance, whether they're poor or disabled or or just hard circumstance in life, 
for many of them, they looked at it as that was their situation because of their relationship with God. And so if someone was paralyzed, it was because they had done something or their parents had done something. That This was the judgment of God. And so for Paul, writing to Theophilus, proclaiming who Jesus is and who he was and who he's talking about. Remember, he's writing to a very influential man who's very wealthy. And here's one of the sermons that he would point out. Blessed are the poor. See, all through the Old Testament, God met the Jewish people on the mountaintop. Moses would meet God on the mountaintop. And we see this idea over and over again of man meeting God on the mountaintop. And yet in the, I find it interesting that in the account of Luke, written to a Greek audience, or a non-Jewish audience, this understanding of who Jesus is, is actually brought to them on the plains. That this God of on high has come down to meet with everyone. He's no longer just a God of the Jewish people, but for a guy like Theophilus, this is an understanding that this is no longer just a, religious for, a religion for the Jewish people. That this is a God who is for all people and that he would come down even to the poor. You know, and we may look at that teaching and we're like, oh, well, you know, we don't believe that just because somebody's poor, just because somebody's disabled, that that's some sort of curse on God. Yet even in some of the ways that we talk, about finances and wealth. I mean, how often do we hear all the time when someone has a lot of money that they're blessed? What does that mean? What does it, what does it mean to think that because someone has money, they're blessed? And I understand that that's maybe a cultural thing for us and it's a way in humility to come about money and all these kind of things that we would humbly say, yeah, it's because of, the God, of, because of God. And, and that's... A very noble and honorable thing. But I think the difference is when we don't have finances. And we do find ourselves maybe in a very difficult time. And for many men and women over the last year, maybe it has been a difficult time. I mean, maybe you're sitting at home and maybe you have lost your job or your income. And I don't know about you, but... Maybe you're sitting there and you're feeling not real blessed right now. And yet God's teaching is currently present tense that they are blessed. See, I think if we're running after money, we're running after security, we're running after ease and comfort. See, if those are our primary goals, if we don't have money, then we don't feel blessed. And we may even look and go, where is God? But if our desire is for something more, 
If our desire is for the kingdom of God, then it doesn't matter if there's a comma or not in our bank account. And I'm sure that we've probably met people in our life who have everything and yet internally feel like they have nothing. And we've probably also met people in our life who have very little materialistically, but have everything and are satisfied and fulfilled. See, because the blessing in in verse 20 and, and all of these blessings are tied to this principle. It says, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Now, this is a big question. And the kingdom of God is actually a theme inside of Luke that's talked about quite a bit. And we're not going to read through all these verses, but if you're taking notes at home, I want you to write down these verses and I want you to go back and read them and really start to dig for yourself and ask this question based on the book of Luke. What is Jesus? And it's primarily Jesus' teaching because he talks about the kingdom of God a lot. The first one we see is in Luke chapter 4, verse 43, and it says this. It talks about that the kingdom of God is good news. In Luke 6, 20, which we're at, the kingdom of God is for the poor. Luke 9, 62 would say that the kingdom of God requires single-minded perseverance. Luke 13, 18, and 19 would say that the kingdom of God is something small, but can have a huge influence. In Luke 13, 28, 14, 15 through 23, it would say that not everyone enters into the kingdom of God. In Luke 13, 29, it would say, but anyone from anywhere can have the kingdom of God. In Luke 14, 33, it would say that there is a cost for joining the kingdom of God. In Luke 17, 21, it would say the kingdom of God starts within you and flows out. In Luke 18, verse 17, it says the kingdom of God requires childlike faith. In Luke 18, 24 through 25, it says wealth can be a barrier to the kingdom of God. And then both in Luke 19, 11 and 21, first, or chapter 21 through verse 31, it says the kingdom of God is here now and is also coming. So what is the kingdom of God? Now, I know this is a very simplistic phrase, and obviously Jesus teaches about it in parallel form. He talks about it as something here, but also to come. Talks about it in many different ways that we see in the Gospels. But I I believe at its simplest form, that the kingdom of God is the presence of God. So if Luke is writing this letter to Theophilus and Jesus is teaching for the people who are hearing and the disciples who I want to remind you have just walked away from everything. 
who've dropped their nets to follow Jesus, who are poor now, who have no place to lay their head, that Jesus is reminding them that theirs is the kingdom of God. That the presence with God is something to have. And it doesn't matter if you're wealthy or poor. Verse 21 in Luke 6 would continue this idea. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. When Martha and I were newly married, you know, I was working as a youth pastor. I didn't make a whole lot. Martha was still in school and we were newly married and we had an apartment that was just under 600 square feet. We had a couch and a TV. And, and I remember one month I got paid and we paid all of our bills and we had $17 yet to our name until I got paid again. And at that time, it brought all these stresses and worries. And it's like, how are we going to eat? What are we going to eat? And I remember Martha and I sitting there and there really was a piece of, of just reminding ourselves that God is going to provide. And that may sound foolish to you. I get that. But can I tell you that over the next two weeks, we've never been invited to eat out more in all of our life from random people that were just like, hey, we want to take you out. And we weren't saying anything nobody knew anything and I saw God provide for my family in that and through that I realized that whether we're poor or whether we're hungry or whether we're weeping when we have dependence on God we experience the presence of God and I think these teachings that Jesus would lay out are not against someone who's wealthy, but it's against someone who would strive to believe that that's going to bring them fulfillment. That if they just had more money, maybe they wouldn't have problems at home. Maybe there wouldn't be tension with their spouse. Maybe things would be better at work. If I just had more money, if I just had more things, then I would be satisfied in all of these kind of things. And Jesus is going, we can get caught up in all that, but blessed are the poor because it causes in them a dependency on me. That for very survival, there must be dependency on him. And that's hard for us to swallow sometimes, but I know that in God and all of his wisdom, he's going, listen, it's so much better. Because what you need is not more things. It's more of me. You want to be satisfied? You want to be blessed? You want to experience true laughter? You want to experience being truly fed? Be dependent on me. Verse 22 and 23 says this, Blessed are you when people hate you. 
when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. Remember, Jesus is talking specifically to his disciples, even though there's a great crowd around. And he knows what they're about to walk through. He knows what he's about to walk through. Persecution because of his name. And he's going, it's going to come. And even for believers today, it's going to come and it comes. He's going, if, if people hate you because of my name, listen, there's something greater to come. Now, this is not an excuse to be a jerk to everyone and, and, and claim that we're being persecuted because we're Christians. You know what? Sometimes we're just rude and we get it back. But I don't want to trivialize because around the world there are believers who it is risky for them to gather together. There is a price to be paid. And who knows what our future holds. But for these men and women who previously and even earlier in this chapter of Luke chapter 6. That Jesus would feel the Pharisees wrath and anger because of what he taught. When we begin to step on religious people's toes. Of who Jesus is and what he's actually about. We see that over and over, specifically in the Old Testament, of the way that the prophets were taught. It's interesting that so often persecution happens inside of the church to other believers. And I think that's true today. And Jesus is going, listen, if you're standing up for the truth of the gospel and who I am and you're pointing people to realizing that God loves the poor, he loves the needy, he he loves the man who weeps and this is the gospel for them. We don't have to clean up ourselves before God loves us, but he loves us now and here. And that transforms us from inside out. So where do we land? Ultimately, we see in this teaching of this blessed life, a dependency on God. There's a statement that I absolutely hate. And it goes something like this, that God will never give you more than you can handle. That's almost taught as scripture. And I think it comes from 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says this, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. That passage is about temptation of sin. That there will never be temptation of sin that you can't overcome. That God hasn't provided a way out from it. But here's what I do believe to be true. Oftentimes, life is too much for you to bear. 
It's too much. There is real poverty. And for some people around the world, even when it's not our own poverty, even when it's not our own hunger, even when it's not our own tears, that we would look across the ocean and we would say, how can a loving God do that? Or especially when it hits close to home and we watch a loved one battle with an illness. It is too much. But the good news of the gospel is this, that you are not alone. That God has not forsaken you. And that God became man and came down off the mountain to the plains to meet with you today to remind you that even if you don't have a dime to your name and you don't know where your next meal is coming from and you feel beaten up and there are tears rolling down your face, that that God is for you. And I get it. In the midst of that situation, you may not feel it. It may be hard to comprehend but we have faith in a God who is loving and caring, who reminds you that there's more to life than having the next iPhone or keeping up with the Joneses. That he's inviting you into his presence and what he has to offer you today, church, is far greater than anything could ever buy or replace. And I believe that is a relationship that God is offering you today. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I know that as we sit here, real life is happening. Some good things, some hard things. But God, remind our heart and our soul today that you are a God of both the rich and the poor, that you are a God of both the full and the hungry, that you are a God who weeps with us and laughs with us, and you are a God in the midst of trials. That you are not far off, but you are near. God, teach us to be people who desire your presence more than anything else. We love you. In your holy name I pray, amen.